This is 99% Invisible. I'm Roman Mars. I need to thank you, first of all, for making 99% Invisible possible. If you're new to the show or just need some context for what's about to happen, let me break it down for you. I did my first Kickstarter in 2012, and the question I asked you was, should 99% Invisible continue to exist? In the second campaign, we asked you if 99% Invisible should become a weekly professional operation and pay everyone a living wage. Luckily, you answered with an emphatic yes to both of those questions. And I hope you feel like the weekly shows have been everything you've hoped for and you still value what we're producing. Today, I'm going to Kickstarter one last time on behalf of 99% Invisible and all of PRX's Radiotopia with the goal of supporting another season of 99% Invisible and all the other programs in Radiotopia. This third campaign is about building an entire constellation of shows in the model of 99% Invisible. That's what we're doing now. This is the biggest, most important thing I've ever been involved in, and it's what I've been working towards since I started 99PI over four years ago. This Kickstarter for Radiotopia is about cementing an infrastructure for the most creative and interesting storytelling programs to find an audience and prosper. I took a huge risk and asked a bunch of indie producers I admire to have faith in the idea of us as a collective, and I hope you'll join me in making this the biggest campaign of all. I was an independent producer for over a decade, and all I wanted was some security. Like... Healthcare coverage, for example, and I never had it. The public radio system just wasn't set up for people like me. So in the last Kickstarter, I asked you, the listeners, to help fund healthcare stipends for the 99PI crew, and we reached that stretch goal in one day. This specter that had haunted me for a decade was vanquished in one day because of your generosity. That's when I was certain I wanted you to be my boss forever. And that's what I want for everyone in Radiotopia. Over 17,000 people backed 99% Invisible during our first two campaigns. And if you appreciate what we've done with your support, I hope you'll chip in with whatever you can. And I really mean that, whatever you can. There's something like 200, 250,000 people download this show in the first couple of days. And if you each gave five bucks, we'd be done. We'd make history right there. Everything would be settled. And even one dollar would matter to me. It would mean that you are hearing me right now. And this is important to you. You'll be keeping 99% Invisible going, and you'll be building a whole new age of audio storytelling with Radiotopia. Of course, it wouldn't be a 99% Invisible Kickstarter without great rewards, and this time we have Radiotopia ringtones like this. This is your phone ringing. I'm Roman Mars. We have a whole set of those for only $5. They're amazing. And uh, we have a new exclusive Melodium album, which you're listening to a track of right now. We have producer for a day experiences, a bunch of new t-shirts from everybody, and lots more from all the Radiotopians. You can find a link to the Kickstarter on our website, that's 99pi.org, and at radiotopia.fm, or search for Radiotopia on Kickstarter. I want to hit this goal now, like today. Do it now. While you're listening to this episode, you might as well just log on. You can do it at the exact same time. I want Kickstarter's headquarters to shake today. I want them nervous about their servers. Let's do this, and continue to change public media for the better, forever. Thanks. This is 99% Invisible. I'm Roman Mars. It's New York City, 1882. At night, the city is mostly dark, but it won't be for long. Thomas Edison has already invented the phonograph, the automatic telegraph, and the first commercially viable light bulb. He really could have stopped right there, but he was still young, only 35 years old. And then he had the brilliant idea of doing something even more ambitious. He wanted to construct to design the electrical system that would supply electricity for those bulbs. That's Philip Shuey. 
He wrote The Grid. It's a history of how society uses and loses electricity. The Edison Illuminating Company built a power station in Lower Manhattan, right in the shadow of the newly constructed Brooklyn Bridge. The first grid was small, about one square mile, and it worked so well that soon all across the country, these little self-contained electrical systems started popping up. In the coming 10 and 20, 30 years, the grid got larger and larger. As the grid grew, it made modern life possible. It powered electric lights, running water, sewage pumps, elevators, and air conditioning. But the bigger the grid got, the more complicated it got, and the more the possibility of failure crept in. Whenever we talk about large, designed, human-made, complicated, electrified things, it sometimes takes four or five things together going wrong, but if the system is complicated enough, then the chances of something bad happening go up. Which brings us to New York City's blackout of 1977. It wasn't the first blackout, or even the biggest, but it might have been the most infamous. That's producer Delaney Hall. And oh yeah, this story, it's not about Thomas Edison. Though it begins with the electrical grid he started building back in 1882. A grid that got so big, it's been called the most massive engineering project of the 20th century. This story is about what happens when you disconnect people from that grid. For one hot night in New York City. It was just time. What we're going to do right here is go back. It was time for a new way back interpretation. Back into time. That's hip-hop pioneer Grandmaster Kaz. And he says on that night, when the lights went out, a movement was born. If I was a kid in the 50s, I'd have been Chuck Berry. You know what I'm saying? If I was in the 30s or 40s, I'd have been, you know, a jazz artist. It's the same energy that every generation, you know, exercises. And it just comes out in different forms. This is Grandmaster Kaz. And yes, I was there during the night of the 1977 New York City blackout and survived. (laughs) Thunderstorm swept over the New York City area on a hot night in July. What happened in 1977 First of all, you have what, and this might even be the technical word for it, an act of God. A lightning bolt came down and struck a overhead transmission line. When lightning adds a bunch of extra electricity to a transmission line, the line shuts itself off at the circuit breaker. When one line shuts off, the electricity starts squeezing into smaller and smaller channels, like how cars on the freeway crowd into a single lane when the other lanes are blocked. This is all fairly normal so far. But then... Just 10 or 15 minutes later, another flash of lightning came. And this knocked out a couple of lines. So now you've got even more electricity with fewer lines to distribute it. And it was hot outside. Really hot. Which meant that lots of New Yorkers were running lots of air conditioners, putting an extra burden on the system. And now they started to have trouble. There wasn't enough room for all the electricity to flow. And so Con Edison, that same power company that Thomas Edison started way back when he was laying the lines for the first electrical grid, started doing the, the, the very last thing they like to do, which is to turn off whole neighborhoods. One by one by one. Okay, so the year of the blackout 
hip hop was starting to spread, but um, it was still pretty much a, a Bronx kind of thing. It didn't have a name, you know, people referred to it. Oh, y'all still doing that hippity hoppity stuff. Hip hop, hippity hop, hip to the hop, hip hop to hippity hippity hip hop. Okay, hip hop, you know what I mean? I do remember what New York was like in that era, and I remember how chaotic it was. That's Joe Schloss. I'm a professor at City University of New York, and I research and practice hip-hop culture. New York City had experienced a major blackout in 1965, in which the city had stayed mostly calm. During the blackout of 1965, residents treated the situation with good humor and camaraderie. But things felt different in 77. It was like a powder keg, like something like that was on the verge of happening all the time. All it took was something to to push it over the edge. A couple years before, in 1975, New York City was in such a dire financial situation that it had turned to the federal government for a bailout. President Gerald Ford's response was a resounding no, prompting the New York Daily News to run a now famous headline, Ford to City, Drop Dead. In 1977, things were still bad for New York. And in the Bronx, they were even worse. You had neighborhoods that had lost something like 46% of the population. My name is Lloyd Altan, and I am the Bronx Borough Historian. And there were blocks after block after block of rubble. And beyond that, uh, what was on the horizon were uh, buildings that were empty and boarded up. Really, it looked like Berlin right after the bombings in World War II. The municipal government had forgotten about the Bronx. And then the youth in the Bronx had been forgotten about by the older people in the Bronx. We didn't have those music programs. All those were cut out. When we were kids, you know, we had them. But those intermediate years, it's like we didn't have none of that anymore. So they were like a forgotten minority of a forgotten minority of a forgotten minority. So, I mean, you can you can really see how people um, could feel that they had been left behind. I mean, it's, it's hard to describe, you know what I mean? Because now that we older, I can look back and say, wow, we got through some pretty rough times, you know, but rough. if you were born into rough times, then it's just times. And once again, my friend, Funky Beat has no end. We about to take you on down to the AM for you and your friend. Cause the sound you hear is kinda tough on your ear. Coming at you so loud and clear, so you have no fear. On the evening of July 13th, 1977, the same day as the blackout, Grandmaster Kaz and his partner Disco Wiz had been challenged to a DJ battle by another group of DJs. So we decided to take our equipment out into the park. We used to hang out, play basketball in every day. So that's where the battle was going to take place. They set up all their stuff side by side. I just remember them having a very, very good professional sound system and us having our thrown together, you know, in pieces set. The two groups of DJs started to battle. I was doing this little combo that I used to do, and one song was a song by DC LaRue, and I would cut it up with this other break beat. Ah, love, love, love. And I was killing them. Now remember that the hype of everybody, you know, being really excited. And then the record just started slowing down. You know what I mean? Just, you know, 
you know how a turntable cuts off and then just that kind of situation. So quite naturally, we thought it was us. We thought we had drained too much power and um, we shorted out, you know, the electricity. So we're frantic. We're looking around. We're checking buttons. We're checking switches. We're seeing what's up because this is death in a battle if your system conks out on you. But after a while, everything around us started getting dark. I mean, windows, the apartment buildings around us were all dark. It kind of came over everybody at the same time like, oh, blackout. Generators all over the city had been turning themselves off one by one. And then the biggest generator in the city. A machine called Big Alice. It turned itself off, and with that, just about everything left that was still lit up in New York turned off. All five boroughs of New York City went dark. But if you turn all those fluorescent lights off, that glow, that diffused light goes away, and you can look up, pow, there it is, the Milky Way. If people took a minute to gaze up at the newly visible night sky, they didn't stargaze for long. Because pretty soon, things started to feel tense. The stores started to close. Like the local bodegas on each corner, we would hear the gate slamming down. Shoom, shoom. It's like they knew what was happening. They knew what was going on. They're like, we, we closing up now. New Yorkers' reactions were varied. Some threw parties, some went walking, and many seemed bemused. Some stayed up in the bars and clubs, and some went out to help. But many took advantage of the sudden chaos. The park was right around the corner from the Grand Concourse in the Bronx, which is like shopping area all the way up and down. Stores, electronic stores, toy stores, furniture stores, pet stores. I mean, everything. Here in the corner of 135th Street and Broadway, I'm amazed to find that right before my eyes, a Singer's sewing machine store is systematically being looted by a crowd of about 40 or 50 people. I saw people taking stuff that people had stolen, you know what I mean? Like, they couldn't get in the store, so they wait for people to come out the store with something and then just grab it from them. It was chaos that night. And it was exciting afterwards. But while it was going on, it was scary. In the Bronx, looters smashed a steel door of an auto showroom and drove off with 50 new cars valued at $250,000. Every other block has a hi-fi store, a liquor store, a sporting goods store that was broken into. Looting was rampant, and people stole all kinds of stuff, including... DJ equipment, turntables. They wanted to become DJs. They wanted to, you know what I mean? And equipment cost. That's why you could count the amount of DJs that there were. I even, like I said, I even got a new mixer. I, I went right to the place where I bought my first set of DJ equipment. I spent money in here. And I went and, buy, and, I, and I got me a mixer out of there. The blackout lasted 24 hours. And some people, including Grandmaster Kaz, think it catalyzed the growing hip-hop movement. After the blackout, all this this new wealth that I like to call it, you know what I mean, was founded by people and, and they just... You know, opportunity sprang from that. And you can see the differences before the blackout and after. So the question is, did they go and seal turntables and things like that so that they could actually become those disc jockeys? I think it's true. 
I cannot rule out the possibility. But I think it's also important to, to, to keep in mind that basically hip-hop history is an oral history at this point. But I cannot say definitively that that actually did happen. And that it's all mythology in some sense. The true stories as well as the false stories. We had to keep our music alive. We had to keep, you know, exercising this 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 need, this this inner need for my soul to to to, you know, experience music. Invisible was produced this week by Delaney Hall and Katie Mingle with Sam Greenspan, Avery Truffleman, and me, Roman Mars. This episode was based off of a piece that Delaney did for the In the Dark radio series based in London. We are a project of 91.7 Local Public Radio KALW in San Francisco and produced out of the offices of ArcSign in beautiful downtown Oakland, California. Support for 99% Invisible comes from our MCs and Sucka MCs listeners and from Tiny Letter. Email for people with something to say. My boy Carver always has something to say. What do you got to say, Carver? To support the show, go to radiotopia.fm. What? What's Radiotopia? A bunch of us really cool shows got together and uh, formed like a super group. Like the Avengers? Exactly like the Avengers. Tinyletter.com. It's free, easy, minimal, and powerful. The simplest way to send an email newsletter. From the great people behind MailChimp. All right, you heard the pitch earlier. This Kickstarter has been the culmination of basically my life's work. So I hope that you'll continue to support 99% Invisible and make the world a better place for radio makers and listeners. And really, truly, anything you can give. I really want just a lot of backers. No matter what they give, that means more to me. You can find a link to the Kickstarter on our website, that's 99pi.org, or you can also find it on radiotopia.fm, or just search for Radiotopia on kickstarter.com. That's it for me. You have one mission. One mission. I want you to take care of it right now. Thanks. Radiotopia. Radiotopia.